The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Jerry Hutch, also known as the Monk, was regarded by some as a kind of a Robin Hood figure in his Dublin neighbourhood, but he was also a criminal godfather involved in a deadly gangland feud. Updated and fully revised, The Monk, The Life and Crimes of Ireland's Most Enigmatic Gang Boss, is written by crime writer for the Irish Independent and author of 12 books, Paul Williams, and it explores Hutch's war with the Kinnan cartel, his time on the run, his trial, and his surprising acquittal on murder charges. And I'm joined in studio this morning by Paul Williams himself. Paul, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. It's great to see you again, my friend. Yeah, and you used to labour in the studio in the early mornings. Normally I would be gone well at this stage. The minute one at nine o'clock came, I was out that door. Uh, off to an early house. <laughs> I was to an early house in a bed. <laughs> now, um, the, you've updated the book because a lot has happened since your original tome. Yeah, but the, the last, when I did the original book on Jerry Hutch, uh, it was 2020. And a huge amount has happened. And I said at the end of that version of the book that, you know, we haven't heard the last of Jerry Hutch yet. At that time, it's important to point out that, you know, there was a serious feeling that Jerry Hutch had, there wasn't enough evidence against him that the the, the guards weren't going to ha- try and have him charged with any criminal offence because we knew about this famous tape uh, that had been recorded and that was central to the investigation. But uh, the, all of that suddenly took off in twenty early 21. The this DPP decided to have him charged with murder. Uh, his extradition is sought. Uh, he do- goes on a runner because he's tipped off. Then he's extradited. Then the very dramatic developments in relation to the Kinahan organisation. Then the build-up to, to his trial and the extraordinary double-cross at the very last hurdle before the trial of Jonathan Dowdle, the former Sinn Féin councillor who turned against... Yeah, and now he was about to be tried himself mm. uh, and then he goes, uh, states super evidence grass. and becomes a... Literally uh, at the 11th hour in September yeah. of last and year. And then he was sentenced for uh, a much lesser crime. For facilitating the gang this, and also his father has been done for... Mm. Was done now he's for in the news again today. We're reading that uh, he may be smuggled out of Limerick Prison in preparation for the Witness Protection Programme? Well, he is, at the moment, It is he's classified as the most at-risk prisoner uh, in Ireland, if not the most at-risk criminal in Ireland. Uh, so he pres- has presented a huge headache to the state. He is, has been, we understand, like, there's no choice in the matter to say, oh, he's been assessed for the Witness Protection Programme. The state have no, no option but to protect him and to look after him, give him a new identity. However, in the 21st century, in the digital age, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see, can he disappear and can mm. he get a new, start a new life? Uh, it, it, and in fact, yeah. in the end of the day, out of the Regency Hotel attack, he is the only member of the criminal or the organised crime group known as the Hutch Gang who is serving a life sentence. His life is over. His life is over. Now, he's a very identifiable uh, person. I mean, all those pictures, he was a Sinn Féin councillor and lots of pictures of him surfaced in that capacity. Mm. Um, uh, and, and then he goes state's evidence, he uh, gets himself a conviction, he testifies. Now, we come to the court and the charges <clears throat> that were brought by the DPP. And I thought, OK, there's got to be something great here now to, you know, a knockout blow. And it reminded me of Colin Powell when he was talking about weapons of mass destruction in the UN. Uh, he would claim they existed in Iraq. And I'm looking at all this stuff as he speaks live from the UN and I'm saying, Colin, show me the money. Where's your evidence? This is ridiculous. Weapons of mass delusion. Yeah. So when we were listening to what was unfolding in the court, you're thinking there must be more. And there wasn't. <laughs> 
In fact, okay, let's go just go to, through the timeline because I, I've always made the point in the, this book and about Jerry Hutch, who I've been following for 30 years, that there was the most spectacular miscalculation of his career was getting involved in this whole revenge and the cycle of violence, which he was dragged into and which is all part of the, the laws of the jungle. So <clears throat> in 2020, when this book was going to print first, uh, we knew that the file was being prepared and finished and was about to be uh, sent to the DPP for consideration to whether to charge Jerry Hutch. Now, we also had tips that maybe Dowdle would be part of that because we knew that there was this famous tape. We didn't know what was on it. It was played in court during the trial, 10, day, 10 hours of it, um, that there would be charges. Now, they had decided at that stage that we're going to charge these two guys. Uh, the DPP then came in at 21 and said, right, we charge Dowdall. He was still in prison for another offence. Him and his his father. He he was charged. His father was also charged with facilitating. Um, and so all of that was in a abe- in abeyance. Now the, at that stage, the whole state trial case against Gerard Hutch and Jonathan Dowdall revolved around these ten hours of tapes. It was distilled down into ten hours of tapes. A secret conversation. A, co- a conversation was secretly recorded when they travelled to Northern Ireland mm-hmm. to meet dissident Republicans on May the seventh. This is where we 7th. have this conversation yeah. about the yokes, the three yokes, which they were going up to get rid of and negotiate the getting rid of the weapons. Now, so that sits at that. Now, always along this, and I've written, I've detailed this in the book and put it in a, in a very tight uh, timescale, uh, a timeline. Dowdall, during his various interactions with the police, had indicated very nonchalantly or, you know, casually uh, and inquired gingerly, um, you know, is there a deal here? Could I do a deal? So obviously the state knew, listen, the, the weak link here is Dowdall. However, the two, they're the only two members of the gang they've got on tape. Um, so they feel that they have a very strong case. Dowdall then starts to change and a turn. He feels that he's cornered, that he's been set up by the Hutches, and to a degree he was, because he was asked, he and his father were asked to get this famous key card and book a room in the Regency Hotel for one of the assassins who did later, who were involved in the Regency, a guy called Kevin Flatcap Murray, uh, IRA man from the North, who's since dead. So they booked a room. And it was like leaving a whole chain of, like an sure. elephant walking through the snow. Um, so he did feel let down and very anxious about that. He also remembered when he was as part of this investigation and as a result of this tape, his house was raided back in 2016. They found evidence of him kidnapping and torturing a man over something completely different while he was still a Sinn Féin councillor. So he was feeling very aggrieved. He didn't want to, like to face the prospect of a life imprisonment. He's not a very nice person, but none of these people are, by the way. There's not a personality contest or a, 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 a popularity contest. So he decides to turn. Now here's where it gets really strange and where the state have questions to answer. Um, He is assessed and it's decided that he becomes, that he would be the state witness literally only weeks before Jerry Hutch, the most high profile and what we call it, and the gangland trial of the century was Mm. about to begin. This was high stakes stuff and he was being brought in at lastminute.com to give evidence and they do a deal with him. Now, the... At, from that period of time, at that period of a number of weeks, the states, the focus of the state's case, which was based on these same these tapes where Jerry Hutch and himself are discussing the guns and all these other issues in, in the car, that was the central core. And they were, it was by common design that he was involved in the murder rather than specifics. Now, Jer, Don Dowdle comes across and makes two allegations. One, that Jerry Hutch, two days after the, the Regency Hotel attack on either the Sunday or the Monday, uh, meets... Uh, Jonathan Dowdall in Whitehall. He requested to meet him and he claimed that Jonathan, that uh, Hutch told him, 
I was one of the gunmen, basically, who jumped, the famous gunmen with the AK-47s, who jumped up on the Regency, on the, on the, the, the reception desk and blasted David Byrne away. And he claimed that he and a guy called Mago Gately were the two of the shooters that shot your man. They took turns in shooting him. Um, now, that was that. There was no other evidence to back that up. And the other part of it was that he, on the night before, when he had this key card for the hotel room, the night before the attack, he met Jerry Hutch and Jerry Hutch took possession of it and then obviously delivered it to mm. Kevin Lynch. So there were suddenly the state's case went from being general, you know, being involved in the, 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 the common design to commit this murder. He now was in a situation where the state, as, as Brendan Graham said, he said, you know, they put all their eggs in one basket because they then decided, Jerry Hutch, to the judge, Jerry Hutch is one of those men, judges, with and, the and that's where the burden of proof lay to prove that Jerry Hutch was one of the shooters. So they raised the bar against themselves. But also, as the judges found, said, you know, this, this man is in his 50s. Uh, we have studied very closely. Uh, this Mrs. Justice Tara Burns and, and the judges did a remarkable job on this in the Special Criminal Court and said, you know, we're looking at this guy and that's not a 50-odd-year-old, 54-year-old, 55-year-old man jumping up on the on the counter, no matter how fit. And I, like, the Hutch would have been very fit through the years. Mm. There's no doubt about that. There was also evidence, by the way, that wasn't introduced to court about how Jerry Hutch travelled to Krakow with Patsy Hutch and other members of the clan where they went to a, a, a rifle range and practiced with AK-47s less than 10 days before the attack. Um, I had all this, all of this is, is, is chronicled in the book before and since. Um, so, and they had videos of them, apparently, that they had seized, uh, some, of the, some of the gang so members, he, and, and it was never used. The, the mystery to me, listening to all of this unfold, was um, you've got one charge that this guy was a shooter, but mm. there are other charges that could be brought in parallel. You know the way someone can yeah. be charged with yeah. uh, five different charges before a jury, for <clears> example. The jury will be asked on count number one, guilty or not yeah. guilty. Uh, count number two, and so on and so forth. And the same would apply to the judges in the special criminal court. They would address yeah. each count. Mm. Why didn't they bring other charges? Well, this is the big question. Now, a lot of these decisions are made in secret and were, are never explained to the public, and quite rightly so, because the state is security issues. There's a, it's a murky world and there's a lot of other aspects to it. Now, even the most uneducated observer here, Pat, could see that when you listened to the... And I've, I have one particular chapter that I'm sort of proud of. I worked very closely with Andrew Field and my colleague, the court reporter in the Irish Independent. We put together a comprehensive chapter of the entire tapes of what we know is on these tapes. When you listen to these tapes, the, the, the first thing that jumps out of you, at a, like this is day one uh, undergrad law school, there is clear and absolute evidence from the, the words of Jared Hutch himself that he is in possession of three firearms, three AK-47s, yeah. which are murder weapons, which were used in this high-profile murder. Number two, it's as obvious as the nose is on your face that he could be charged as well, with, which is another a chargeable offence, being in charge of a criminal organisation. He was never charged with those. Now, I have met several senior legal people and cops both retired and serving. Now everybody's starting to walk away from this now since obviously mm. of course because it was a bit embarrassing for the state and people are saying well they don't want to put all their eggs in one basket. they wanted to put their best foot forward. The precedent they're saying some people say oh they shouldn't have they, they couldn't have done that. Nobody has given an explanation to back that up because you have to remember when John Gilligan who was charged with the murder of Veronica Gearn when they went after him the state they had three charges against him. One was uh, and you 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 prefer 
the maximum number of charges you can logically against the individual because if you can't get him on one thing you get him on another so he, he was charged with possession, with possession of firearms because he was involved in importing guns and the supergrasses were going to say that he also was charged with traf- drug trafficking and also involved, charged with the murder of Veronica Gearn the special criminal court acquitted him of the murder of Veronica Gearn acquitted him of the possession of firearms because of the, the, the evidence they weren't satisfied with from the supergrasses but they convicted him of drug trafficking Jerry Hutch had the look of the devil and I'm sure he can't believe his own luck uh, that he was not charged with those other offences because it was an open and closed slam dunk case. Now all of that was building ahead of steam after the trial until <laughs> we discover Gubu. Gubu baby you couldn't make it up. Charlie High couldn't have made this up. You know then we discover guess what? A senior GSOC investigator who was also involved in investigating the death, the very tragic death of Colin Fox, the officer in charge of the Regency Hotel attack, the man who had uh, intricate, uh, intimate knowledge of the, tr- the the investigation case of the Regency and of their for into Jerry Hutch, turns up uh, at Jerry Hutch's party uh, the night he's released. That is Gubu. Well, I think that there were people in the DPP's office in Garda headquarters dancing around saying, "Now we believe in God," because this took the whole heat off them. Because suddenly you had this other extraordinary development, which brought into question the whole, the whole whether it was fit for purpose, whether GSOC was fit for purpose or not. Um, it was intensely embarrassing. In fact, it would be enough to close an organisation down. Such was the level of scandal attaching to it. Uh, and you couldn't make it up. Now... I mean, I would have thought that anyone entering into that party to celebrate Jerry Hutch's release... Uh, I mean, maybe I watch too many movies, you know, too many crime series from the US, but, you know, you'd be frisked, you'd be interrogated, you'd be identified, you'd have to show your bona fides before you'd be let into the presence of... The cops were watching that party as well. They were. Anybody with half a bleeding brain. Like, for Pat, you and I are journalists, we're entitled to go anywhere we want. We would have had uh, sort of reservations if we were invited to Jerry's party. Sure. I wrote his biography and, you know, I was expecting a call and Jerry didn't send one, but I, mean, I wasn't too upset about it. Like, I would have had serious problems because I'd say to myself, I'm walking into one of the hottest zones in the country and everyone's going to be watching and it's going to be construed in a certain way because this guy's after walking uh, from one of the biggest, most high-profile cases in the history of the state and he's the most high-profile criminal in the history of the state. And there was a, a further wrinkle in all of this because uh, that particular GSOC officer <laughs> was involved in uh, the investigation into the death of the Garda, that's who, Colin Fox. I just mentioned, yeah. yeah. Like, like, so therefore, he had access to very sensitive stuff, uh, very, very sensitive information, and like, even if if you take it on, it's at its very best. Which he was absolutely naive, and was just picking somebody up who happened to be at the party. You know, he lives on the same road. You'd nearly take in your, get in your car and drive to the other side of Dublin and get somebody else to pick up your neighbour from that party, if it was the naive suggestion. Now, we've heard a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of uh, stuff reported uh, in the newspapers about various aspects of this case. It's in the lap of the gods and that, that investigation could last for another months and the file that have to be sent to the DPP and we'll see where it goes. The bottom line here is that even if Jerry Hutch is the so-called ordinary decent criminal, and we're ambivalent about him because he is the least worst of all the gangsters. That's the best way I'd describe him. Um, it illustrates that everybody who even to- puts her toe into the pond where these guys live, you get corrupted. Like GSOC has been, like even if it was innocent, GSOC is basically Damaged. screwed. Yeah, damaged um, by this. A- an ex-Garda 
has been convicted. He was tied in with him. Other guards have then come under suspicion uh, and they're fighting for their lives or, you know, they've been suspended for years without any bloody explanation as to what's going to happen to them. They're tainted by their association with this ex-cop who ended up being associated with Jerry Hutch. And uh, the bottom line here is two things. Uh, And I I say this to people when I give talks about this case. Um, The morality of all this, the lesson of all of this is that Jerry Hutch and his family and the Kinahans and going back to the general and John Gilligan and all of these people, they live by a different code to the rest of us. They live by the code, the the, the law of the jungle. So they are outside the norms of society. They don't give a shit about what we think. Or they don't. We are ours. We're the idiots who who do what we're supposed to do. But the bottom line moral moral of this story is that you can't veer outside the rule of law. You can't take the law in your own hands. Although Jerry Hutch, I'm sure, is feeling quite lucky about it at the moment. And the other thing is that no matter who they are, even if they're the least worst criminal gang on the on the on the manor, everything they touch, they corrupt and poison. Yeah. Um, where is he now? Do we know? Will we ever see him again? I mean, when we saw those pictures, and uh, mm. happily to distinguish uh, this book from the original version in 2020, you have that picture of him without his haircut. Brilliant picture by St- uh, Irish Independence star yeah. photographer Mark Connor. It's almost it's like something from a Rembrandt or a Caravaggio. It's well, uh, or else, you know, a poster for Castaway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or, or he'd be a very successful extra in uh, Vikings. Yeah. But when he got, he came out of prison with that, and that day, I he was like astonishing that day. It was he, the first steps he took into into the sunshine that afternoon when he came out. When he was still shocked, I believe he didn't even have the price of a taxi, and a, a lawyer came with him. He could have gone out a side door because obviously he's at, at high at risk. He decided to walk out, and he knew the media were going to be there, but he didn't realize I wouldn't say that the level of of an interest on the pack that would be there because it was fu to everybody. He wanted to be seen, and he had that you know that massive mane of hair and 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 beard, and he. he he, it was this sort of farcical situation where he's walking up and down Infirmary Road looking for a taxi and uh, some guy popped up and decided to become his ad hoc minder. It was very famous. It's all over social media. Uh, and then he got in his car in this taxi and was whisked away. Well, literally within 24 hours the, the mane of hair and the beard was gone. It was probably, probably part of his his his, uh, his uh, strategy in the sense that well they won't recognise me after seeing those pictures of me but he still is very recognisable and he stayed around for a number of weeks and then he slipped away quietly to Spain. Now he will be in and out because the guy is very close to his neighbourhood. Uh, and there's nothing pending. There is nothing. Like, there is supposed to be something pending in the sense that this there's an ongoing corruption investigation going into on, on into this ex cop uh, and his links to Jerry Hutch, uh, and Jerry Hutch himself was arrested in relation to that. I would find it. Uh, I don't know if that if that case is going to go anywhere. Uh, Hutch. The other part of it as well, of course, Jerry is or, 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 uh, Pat is that it came out in court and was very very clear that. You know, Patsy Hutch, Jerry's brother, was the main organizer in all of this. He was like, you know, it was like he was like Banco's ghost throughout the trial. And at one stage, even Jonathan Dowdle started lashing into uh, Brendan Graham, uh, Jerry Hutch's defense lawyer, and said to him, "Listen, sure, look, it doesn't say much of your client. He's throwing his own brother under the bus." <laughs> and like Patsy Hutch was seen by NSU National Surveillance Unit when he was picking up the guns and handing them over to the dissident Republicans, which were the we- murder weapons, and he has never been charged. There's a, there's a curiosity about that. I, I'm not saying there's any kind of uh, anything dark or macabre to it. I, I think it's just that maybe they haven't got around to charging me yet. But I think that you know, Jerry Hutch launched this and, and his brothers 
launched this audacious outrage, the most audacious act of violence we've ever seen in this country, because our colleagues in the Irish Independent were there to photograph it. And he can't believe his luck. He got himself tied into this David versus Goliath battle with the Kinnahans. He paid very heavy, heavy price for his three nephews, his two best friends and his brother are dead. But... The, the, again, the irony of this story, and I, I find this the most extraordinary story I've ever had to cover in 30 years. Um, he has walked free. Um, and not only that, but the gang that, remember, his family started this feud. They started mm-hmm. when they tried to kill Daniel Kinnan. Kinnan is the biggest cartel in the world as a result of their targeting of the, the small fish in this, the monk and his family. They have become pariahs on the global scale. With Uncle Sam after them as well. They have lost more in terms of they've lost their operate 70 odd members of their gang are behind bars. None of the Hutch side, by the way, apart from Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy, uh, the two guys who did, drove getaway cars, they're the only two people on the Hutch side who have paid a price for this and are serving time in prison. Well, it's uh, called The Monk and you can see the recent picture of Jerry Hutch with the uh, uh, castaway um, photograph on the cover, updated to cover the gangland trial of the century. Uh, You'll see that on the cover as well. It's published by Alan Unwin and is available in every bookshop all around the place. And its author, Paul Williams. Paul, thank you very much for joining us in studio. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.